Well, good morning, Southern Oregon, and welcome to The Real Estate Show. I am Alice Lima here with my coworker, Pete Del Castro. We're both real estate brokers here in Southern Oregon with John L. Scott, and we're so happy to bring you our weekly one and only in the Valley radio show with all things Southern Oregon real estate. So Pete, how are things going in your world this week? Isn't it amazing? We're into the the, the cold weather and after Thanksgiving now, we we're seeing a you know, a drop in, in sales. But last week was, you know, was Thanksgiving weekend. We had a holiday in there. We really saw a decline in, in pending sales and closed sales across all three counties from the week before. But that's, those are probably going to come back up this week, Alice, and we'll see what's going on. The reason so much is that interest rates continue, if you can believe it, to drop. At USDA loans and, and FHA loans are like 2.25 if you have certain credit. And Guy Giles, who's going to join us today from Mutual of Omaha Mortgage, I got to ask him, is it possible these rates could drop into the ones? Is it? I mean, they're almost there. Is that? Yeah, possible? I don't know. Is that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. It, it, anyway, we're going to ask him about that because the rates are, are that great and they're continuing to drive the market. And also today, Alice Sheriff Nate Sickler is going to join us in a little bit to talk about the after effects of 2020 and what has happened on his department and what that means for real estate also in, in Jackson County because his department faces so many things that we talk about. And so we'll hear from him an update because I'm sure that he had one, he's had one crazy 2020, right? Well, and we're all so proud of our uh, sheriff's department. We're proud of all of our emergency working um, departments and how great they all uh, helped each other during the fire and um, just you know everything that's been happening to our little valley. So uh, it'll also be interesting to see um, what he's going to be doing about some of the new um, the new bills that were passed in the state of Oregon during the election because there's you're some talking, you're talking changes. <laughs> the decriminalization of most drugs and the ability to use uh, uh, psilocybin mushrooms in treatment of mental health patients. So there's huge changes. I mean, those are going to affect how he operates a department, how, how uh, social service agencies are going to work. Are people going to flood here because we're going to have this, this decriminalization? Man, all that is out there and there's no easy answer. So we're going to try to pick the sheriff's brain today, Alice, and see what uh, we can get from him about how he's going to deal with it. Because boy, you or I, we would not want to do with that. You and I would not be good at that. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I just don't know if that's what he signed up for. But uh, he runs a great department. Sheriff Nathan Sickler will be here as our guest today on The Real Estate Show, along with Guy Giles, Mutual Omaha Mortgage. So do not touch that dial, folks. We'll be right back with another great broadcast. Well, welcome back to The Real Estate Show, folks. I'm Alice Lima here with Pete Belcastro. We're both brokers at John L. Scott Southern Oregon. And we're here today with Guy Giles of Mutual of Omaha Mortgage and also our very own Sheriff Sickler of Jackson County. So welcome, gentlemen. We have so much to get caught up on. How's things going? Um, let's start with you, Guy. How are things going with you lately? Well, it feels like rates just dropped. We're getting refinances that are just going crazy again every every day i'm getting two or three phone calls for people wanting to refinance so that seems to be the big thing we are starting to see some purchase money again but obviously just in the middle of this transition with everything going on politically um slowed down for a minute on the purchase side but it i i'm starting to see offers going in twenty thirty thousand dollars over over the listing price so i think it's it's pretty strong out there and the rates are still really good 
Mm -hmm. What are refinances going for? Just because I know you did my refinance and I appreciate you're doing my sister's refinance right now, yeah. guys. What are the, what are the, I mean, I got a great rate below 3% on mine. Are they still dropping below that for refinancing or what are you doing right now? They're, they're sticking around. You know, I mean, obviously I go back into my same old thing with, you know, there's credit score about 26 things that go right. into quoting an accurate one, but I, I am doing them in the, in the twos still and the, and the government stuff in the really, really low twos. So, and then I, when I'm talking about uh, quoting rates, I'm not really talking about charging a bunch of fees to lower that either. Right. I just mean kind of what we call a par rate. So they're, they're very, very good still. It, and did you guys think it's possible that rates could drop below two? Is it, is that, is that even, is that even possible the way, the way we're going right now? I keep hearing that, that they could, they could drop a little bit more. And I'm, I'm a guy that locked in at 3% thinking that we were pretty much done with everything, you know, dropping down. But, you know, I mean, economically, if we, if we run into some, some more headwinds, that could, it, it could actually happen. I mean, it is hard to believe, but there's definitely more, more room to go up than there is down at this point. So I think that if you can find a good rate and get it locked in, you know, it's probably not a, not a bad time. And, and, you know, trying to time the market is really difficult. And with rates where they are right now, it's, uh, you know, and it's never a push to just, you know, hey, go, go get a mortgage or something. But I, I just think that there's more, more room up than there is down. And I don't know, I don't know really how they go down much further, to be honest with you. We'll but see. There's talk. I know. <laughs> um, well, and it's just been a very um, strange year in general with everything that's happened. And one of the um, questions we had for uh, Sheriff Sickler uh how are things going with you in the sheriff's department through the fires and the COVID? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, it, it has been a, a quite a year. 2020 has been one of these years that I don't think anyone will soon forget and probably hopefully not repeat again. Um, it's been a challenge all the way around. You know, there's been some things that have been okay for us from a law enforcement perspective. You know, initially when um, in March when COVID became uh, much more prevalent, um, you know, things slowed down for us a little bit just because people weren't out moving around. I mean, you know, things were closed, people were staying home, there was less traffic, there was less crashes, there was less crime reports. Uh, but, you know, now those things have uptick, but then we had to make adjustments in our jail facility for COVID. We had to make adjustments in our office, just like all the other businesses out there. We had to change some practices and implement some things to try to keep, you know, uh, our workplace COVID free. And, um, and then of course, you know, then we dealt with uh, some social unrest uh, in the country with, you know, George Floyd, as far as that, and that, you know, that stuff wasn't as prevalent here, but it does certainly trickle down to uh, the local law enforcement, um, you know, and we, you know, have to, uh, you know, check our own policies and practices and, you know, uh, make sure that we're doing everything in accordance with best practices and policies and all of that. And then, of course, uh, just as we start to kind of move through this, um, you know, we get the fires, the Almeida and uh, uh, the Obachain fire. And, you know, those were something else. I mean, I never have been through anything quite like that. Uh, hope. Hopefully I never will see anything like that again in my career or ever in my lifetime. And so that was uh, certainly a challenge that we're still continuing to work through as a county and as a community 
to support all those that lost, I mean, everything in those fires. So really challenging year. Uh, of course, then you have the whole political climate on top of that, a presidential election year. Uh, we passed some really interesting laws, in my opinion, that are going to cause us some challenges locally. We can talk about that today if you'd like. But Measure 110 in, uh, specifically with kind of the decriminalization of, of drugs, uh, or at least small quantities of drugs, and how will that look for our area with regards to potential crime rates and, you know, the criminal justice system and all of those things. So it's just been a really busy year. Um, but, you know, we've also responded to many of these challenges in a good way with the sheriff's office. So I'm really proud of our staff and the efforts that everybody has uh, made to, you know, keep COVID out of our jail and still maintain a jail population uh, to keep our community safe as a whole. So a lot of good things have come out of this, you know, with every challenge, there's opportunities to grow or to, uh, you know, kind of throw in the towel. And I think our team has chosen to grow and, and get better. And um, so I'm proud of that effort. And I'm really very proud of our community for the way it responded to the fire situations down South County and uh, Obachain. And, you know, the support for us during all the, the unrest across the country, we saw a huge outpouring for law enforcement in our area. And it was really, um, you know, when, when things could be, um, you know, you could get down uh, because you see the national outlook on law enforcement in particular and some of the things that were going on in these big cities uh, attacks on police and you know all these things our community kind of rallied around us and so that was huge for our morale and for our staff and for me and everybody else so we're thankful to be working in Jackson County for sure in Southern Oregon. You know when you were here I mean, we had we had talked about you and Guy anywhere were part of different committees and going on I know in cannabis things like that have, uh, Nate, has all that stopped, Guy? Has all of that kind of activity within the Sheriff's Department, all these different committees that you got going, has everything stopped as a result of the pandemic, or are you still functioning uh, with with that? Well, it was it, it was dead for a while, and we we I think we had our second meeting back. Somehow I didn't get the email for the first one, but we had our we we, we are starting to meet again on that kind of like we're doing right here over Zoom. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, not not a whole lot you know, happening. I mean, obviously everybody's been going a thousand different directions with just all the emergencies. And actually that's one thing I wanted to mention to, to Nate, when everything was its worst and the fires and everything seemed really weird. I just saw a huge presence of the sheriff's department everywhere. Either I live in a really bad neighborhood or they were just everywhere somehow taking care of us. Yeah. And I actually thought that was, that was really cool. You know, it just, it was, it was a weird time for all of us. And they really felt like you guys just put put the right amount of people on the streets and anyway I wanted to mention that before we got all done because it was it was pretty cool but yeah as far as as far as our weed committee and all that we're we're just kind of getting fired back up so we're probably going to have to go back and do a little bit of uh do a bit of homework as to what's what's been happening during this so we can get kind of caught up to speed and Nate's probably been a lot more involved in that than I have lately yeah, you know, the IMET team, which is our illegal marijuana enforcement team, is still, you know, full tilt. Um, and, you know, things are still going on. It's just a little bit less in the in the forefront just because of so many other things that are going on in, in our communities, in our area, and, of course, across the country. Uh, the committee was on hold, as Guy said, uh, but we got, I think, our next meeting is uh, in a couple weeks. So, you know, we're starting to get back on track and, and see where we're at and, you know, really see know what this committee can do as far as marijuana advisory committee because I think that's a challenge of 
you know, it's good to get together and learn. I think that's been the most beneficial thing for me is to learn something from, you know, the industry people and, and some of the policy things. But, you know, as, as far as making rules and regulations, it's pretty tough. I think Guy would be even more frustrated because uh, he, you know, he doesn't work in the, the government system every day like I do, but uh, it is challenging to get stuff done sometimes. And so, uh, but yeah, we're trying. That's good to hear. Hey, whatever happened to the, speaking of the fires, since you brought it up, and I know you were really involved with those things. Whatever happened to the, wasn't there an arsonist that was actually arrested? Mm -hmm. And can you tell us what, what went on with that or what's going on with that, uh, Nate? Because yeah. a lot of people kind of always asking about that now. Yeah, so uh, during, during the fire, so in the midst of the, the major fire on September 8th, um, an individual set another fire, a second fire, uh, in Phoenix, and that uh, uh, an astute citizen, observant citizen, saw this, called it in. Uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, officers in the area at the time, and uh, state police, uh, state trooper, and a sheriff's deputy went and grabbed this guy up and ended up arresting him, and then he was charged for, you know, what could be proved as damage from that second fire, right? So they had the two fires. And so the investigation is ongoing into the first fire right now still. And in fact, the, the detectives were just yet talking about that today. Still a very active investigation. You know, things slow down as, as you get some of the forefront or the, some of the initial work done, but they're still actively working that case because we're really trying to figure out who did this. It's a priority for our organization who started this first fire uh, because, you know, in my mind, this is the most uh, egregious crime that's ever been committed in Jackson County. So uh, we're working on it very diligently. Uh, the Ashton Police Department is still the lead agency. It started in their city, but our office, the Medford Police Department, the state police are all supporting them with their investigation. And, and we're all working together to try to solve this. So, um, you know, we will, we will do our best. And, and just, I know we got a break coming up in a minute, but I want to ask one more question on it. The emergency yeah management response this i mean people because i'm a fire victim there's a lot of people you know in my situation yeah what do you what do you what do you make of jackson county's emergency response to it you know you, you got to be involved with it with the sheriff's department so just tell us as you look back at it now what you thought that response was did you learn anything can you change anything different yeah you know <laughs> you know hindsight is always 2020 and so i think you know when you have that outlook on it is say we know well we did a debrief and we'll do another debrief. The county is hiring an independent contractor, so to speak, a professional company to come in and do an incident overview and look at what things went well, what things could have gone better. Was anything done that was wrong? You know, why wasn't the major emergency alert system used? And then how would that have impacted it? But I can tell you, you know, from our experience, uh, you know, that was a very dynamic event and it moved so fast that there wasn't a lot of time for a lot of things to happen. And, Unfortunately, you know, it's not something that you, 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 you have the experience of dealing with every day. And so certainly I think if that fire were to happen today, some things very well likely may have been a little bit better because now you've gone through the experience and you've kind of identified some areas that you, you know, could improve on. And I do think redundancy and emergency alert systems is, is probably a good thing. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, would have changed any outcomes? I don't know. That's the part where the review will take place and, and look at that. But, you know, for only for how devastating that was and how fast it moved, sometimes at 20 miles an hour, 
um, you know, to only have, and still unfortunate, but three people who died as a result of that fire. And in two of those we confirmed refused to leave when officers were at their door. That's pretty amazing, you know? So I really kind of focus on this. Yeah, I think things could have been done better, but could the outcome have been any better given what we were faced with? And that's really the question that we'll have to ask as we move forward. But certainly we want to do the best and provide the best information. So I do think we can improve in that area in the future as a county. And and certainly not to say that everything was done 100% perfect, but I do think uh, things were done really well with some shortcomings. Well, and we all really appreciate um, all of the emergency responders. And, and again, to reiterate what Guy said, we just appreciate the sheriff's office a ton. So folks, we do have to take a quick break. Do not touch that dial. We've got more to come with Sheriff Sickler and Guy Giles of Mutual of Omaha, Alice Lima, Pete Belcastro. Do not touch that dial. Well, welcome back, real estate fans, to The Real Estate Show. I'm Alice Lima here with Pete Belcastro. We're both brokers at John L. Scott here in Southern Oregon. And we're so lucky today to have Guy Giles from Mutual of Omaha Mortgage and our very own Sheriff Sickler of Jackson County Sheriff's Department. So uh, super, super excited. We're having a great conversation about fires right before the break. Uh, Sheriff Sickler, you were mentioning that. And then also, um, how, how are things now that we're a little bit post-fire, how is the sheriff's office um, and what kind of elements are you having to deal with post-fire? You know, you know, the day after the fire, the big thing was, you know, how do we keep, uh, you know, the, the areas safe and people safe and provide a, a good service and provide that kind of that security when, like as Guy mentioned, when everybody is so, you know, just on edge because of just what happened to our community. So we had a lot of support, you know, uh, in Jackson County, our law enforcement groups. So in the cities and the sheriff and the state police, they work together really well. We have great relationships and that was really beneficial in this incident, incident because, you know, the Medford police department stepped up in a huge way and they didn't have to, right? I mean, this, the fire did not burn into Medford and, um, you know, so, but they sent resources, a lot of resources because they're the biggest, you know, agency besides us in the Valley. And they sent resources to help. And the state police sent resources, the National Guard, all the small agencies. We had sheriff's deputies from um, Deschutes County. We had Ben PD here. We had Klamath Falls PD here. We had Josephine County, Sheriff's Office, Grants Pass Police. Um, and, you know, we just had a lot of help uh, from other agencies that just came in and said, we just want to help. Like, what do you need us to do? And it could have been anything from driving around Shady Cove that was on a completely, uh, the whole town was on level three evacuations, meaning nobody's there, you know, or should be there, uh, just to patrol businesses and knock on doors as far as, or shake door handles, make sure the businesses are secure, uh, to providing escorts into the fire zone so people could to get things out of their house that they might need or to look at their property to have that, you know, that, that closure or whatever needed to happen for them to, to just see what was going on. So everyone was very selfless. There were no um, egos. There was no jurisdictional matches over who's in charge of what. It was big work together because our community needs us. And uh, it was really cool to see. And I think, you know, from that aspect, it went very well as well, you know. And uh, so again, just a shout out to our community. We had so much community support. We had people dropping off food, supplies, Tylenol, eye drops, face masks. I mean, you name it. Businesses were providing food. We had 
200 uh, FEMA search and rescue, or I'm mean, sorry, 100 and, I think it was 130 uh, FEMA search and rescue personnel that came in from Utah to help, you know, do the search, post-search. We thought that was going to take us, you know, a month to six weeks to go through all of the, the burned out area. And it took us less than two weeks. Um, our search and rescue, I mean, talk about the scope of this operation, which was really, we had a, you know, a DMORT team and, you know, we were anticipating potentially a lot of casualties um, because of how fast the fire moved. And so we had a DMORT team in that came in from the state and they actually had done work in other parts of the country under mass disasters. So we just had a lot of resources in a lot of things and man, it went really smooth because of just the, the way everyone worked together. So it was, you know, a challenge, but it was also really good to see people rise to the occasion. Yeah, the cooperation of the interagencies was tremendous. We all witnessed that. It really was quite amazing. Uh, Pete, yeah. you were going to say something? Curious as to what you were talking about, Oregonians and passed this last election, passed, you know, uh, things like uh, psilocybin mushrooms now are going to be treated for mental health patients and you call the decriminalization of drugs. It, you know, real estate's affected by this in some ways as we go along here. Oregon has a reputation of certain things. Do you, do you guys see this, all three of you, do you guys see this as going to be an effect in the future of that this could be out of control or how, how should we approach in terms of like real estate and what we do with decriminalization and this kind of things that's coming to our communities? Because it's already a problem and so yeah. we're going to get more of it or I'm just, what do you think? Well, um, you know, if I start, I guess we're, from a law enforcement perspective, you know, what we're gonna we're, we're gonna deal with is now, you know, small quantities of drugs are going to be essentially not 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 criminal. Meaning, you can still get an administrative fine for having possession of, say, uh, 1.99 grams of methamphetamine or cocaine or whatever. Uh, is going to be an administrative fine. You can have up to 0.99 grams or one gram of heroin. Um, and that's just to find a, a ticket, you know, we take it. Um, and then if the individual goes to a health assessment and these things need to be defined a little bit more by law, then that ticket is dismissed, right? So the idea is, you know, is to try to get individuals into some sort of a treatment other than the criminal justice system. And, you know, I feel like, yeah, this is, this is potentially uh, going to, causes some of the same issues we saw with with marijuana. I mean, I think a guy, especially after sitting on the committee and all of you for being in real estate is, is can see that we attracted a lot of people into our area to grow marijuana and that necessarily wasn't a benefit to our rural communities. Uh, we saw a pretty significant crime increase, especially some violent crimes surrounding marijuana and uh, some of the some of the white collar and um, money laundering and other charges associated with the marijuana industry became more pre prevalent, not less. So I think we're gonna see the same thing with the legalization or decriminalization of drugs in that, you know, we may import uh, individuals who wanna use drugs and not be, you know, potentially facing a jail, a trip to jail for using these drugs. So, you know, my fear is, is that we're gonna import individuals who are addicted and we all know that that has other you know baggage with it you know maybe housing issues employment issues mental health issues and then addiction issues on top of it and then we're going to be stuck trying to deal with those individuals here when we don't have enough resources to deal with what we already have currently and then of course 
you know, the fear is, is are more people going to become users because of the, it's, it's not illegal. And, you know, I've been in groups, uh, you know, outside of the law enforcement world where, you know, they said, look, there's this stick you know, thing is where kids or younger adults are saying, Hey, drugs are legal. Now let's go out and try this stuff. And it's like, people don't need to be messing around with heroin. It can be addictive after one use, you know, and not to mention the overdose potential for people who aren't, uh, have never used drugs and they want to try heroin. I mean, in fentanyl laced heroin overdoses are off the chart this year. I mean, there's just so many problems, I think, that this wasn't well thought out. And I don't know if the voters were really keen on what this really meant. They thought, I think, treatment was going to be this big push. And there will be more treatment. But in Oregon fashion, um, you know, we passed the law. And then it'll take us three years to try to get the infrastructure to deal with this. And by then, who knows what the problem is. So I think we really missed the boat with this. I thought it was set up poorly. You know, it's got outside influence from the East Coast, from New York. Uh, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, I think, donated $500,000 to this campaign efforts. I really think people across the country view Oregon as a pretty uh, uh, ripe area to put in these very liberal laws with regards to drugs and drug use since we passed marijuana. And so I just think that this is a social experiment that we're all going to be dealing with here. On, on as far as the election thing goes, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot here. Did you happen to look closer at that one as far as outside money coming into the elections here? I know that passed. Will, will, will that help, do you think? And again, it's, I know that's not your total expertise, but oh, as far as money as coming from the campaign places? limits, yeah, payments. You know, I, I don't know if, if that will have a big inf influence on um. Some of these things, I think it'll it may increase some transparency and in where these donations are coming from. But uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard to tell. And well, well, and one of the concerns I think uh, Pete and I and other real estate um, and housing industry professionals have is um, the reputation of Oregon and, like you mentioned, Sheriff Sickler, that it's going to be attracting people. Um, who just want to be more free with using the hard drugs. And I think some of the voters were not completely clear that that included meth and heroin and, and things like and that. I think decriminalization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a shock for a lot of people uh, the day after the election. Um, and what kind of pressure does that put on the sheriff's department um, in trying to, to be in front of that possibly population increase? That kind of population increase. yeah it, it, you know i don't think the population will swell you know to a point where it's unmanageable but it'll be the the, the potential for the individuals who are troubled you know already potentially addicted and say look if i go to oregon it doesn't have to be southern Oregon, but oregon you know i won't get taken to jail if i have drugs on my person a small quantity so i use your mouth so but you know uh, they could operate with some impunity as far as what's the norm or what we're used to my fear is, is that when individuals are troubled, um, you know, and have addiction issues, and they're already involved with the criminal justice system in some regards. So we don't just contact people because they're addicted, right? We contact people because they're committing crimes or doing other things that would lead us to believe there's crime afoot. And so we do know, I know from interviewing many recovered addicts, um, you know, and talking to, you know, people who are involved in the criminal justice system my whole career is, is that they commit a lot of crime to support their habits. Okay. So if we're talking property crimes, you know, and, you know, say you just have a hundred more addicts or 200 more addicts 
that don't have the means to support their habit through employment or other means, they have to go out and commit crimes to do this. And what that means is they're going to be, you know, committing, I think the number that I uh, have been told most frequently is about 10 to 15 crimes a day to support their habits. So if you have 100 more addicts, that's 1,000 crimes a day in Jackson County. So and again, those are just really generalizations and numbers, but this is, this is not unusual. Like I, did, I didn't get this number myself. I, I get it from people who have told me about their activities while they were addicted and, and, and in the criminal justice system. So I just think that could be a challenge and that could have faced homeowners because there's not enough police to deal with these additional crimes. And, you know, as, as things grow and swell, as far as it, it goes into different areas that it might not have been before. And so who knows what that could mean? You know, I just, it's hard to predict it, but it certainly, you know, crime rates are something that's brought up with real estate. I know that. Well, remember when we had, uh, a few years ago, we had the great rush to get into the cannabis world. Then we went into the hemp world. I'm wondering now if we're going to go into the psilocybin mushroom growing world and we're going to start selling real estate based upon whether or not you can grow psilocybin mushrooms to treat mental health patients, because that too is now going to be legal in our state. It, it changes so much. It, it offers opportunities and um, problems as well. Well, we're going to see it. It's coming. It's here. Well, yeah. Thankfully, they probably need some moisture to grow those. So maybe they'll grow some up north and they'll see some of the issues that we've been facing. <laughs> you, might, you might just expand your community and to include that in the future too. You never know. I mean, it's like everything's wide open. It's like, we're, we're like the wild, wild west again, it seems like in this. Uh, anything goes and you know nobody gets in trouble and things like that. And it's going to affect us eventually down the line, I would say. Anyway. We just get prostitution and trafficking and we'll have it all right here. Well, well and folks, we have a break coming up. <laughs> so please sorry. do not judge that dial. It's still a great place to be. <laughs> it is still a great place to be. We love Southern Oregon. Sheriff Sickler, uh, Guy Giles are joining us today on the Real Estate Show, Pete Belcastro and myself, Alice Nima. We will be back after a word from our very much appreciated sponsors, Mutual of Omaha Mortgage, uh, John L. Scott, and the Rogue Valley Association of Realtors. We appreciate and thank you all so we can do our show every week and we will be right back. Well, welcome back Southern Oregon to the Real Estate Show. I'm Alice Lima here with Pete Belcastro. We're both brokers at John L. Scott here in Southern Oregon and we're having a very lively and interesting conversation with Sheriff Sickler of the Jackson County Sheriff's Department and we're also joined by Guy Giles of Mitchell of Omaha Mortgage, our in-house lender. And uh, Sheriff Sickler, we were talking uh, right before the break uh, about some of the possible impacts on our community and the sheriff's department of some of the new drug laws. And uh, some of my clients have asked me privately something to bring to you today. Um, and that was some of the neighborhoods are considering getting together and having their own private security, their own, uh, not police, but something like that. And I'm just wondering, how does that work in uh, today's day and age? Yeah, you know, there are plenty of companies out there that do provide extra patrol options for communities. Um, you know, that's just something each community has to see if it's right for them. But essentially what it does is it provides, you know, this really consistent presence to be the kind of the eyes, the ears, and the deterrent for criminal activity. Um, so, you know, we welcome those things if people are able to, you know, afford that option or, you know, employ that option for their, their personal residence. Um, and to be vigilant. I mean, it's going to take a, it, it, a police department can't be everywhere at all times. A sheriff's department can't do it or sheriff's office. They just can't do it. So, 
you know, it is important that we work with our community any way we can to try to make things safe and to make things better and to communicate and to, uh, you know, kind of pull our resources together. And, you know, we're willing, obviously, to work with uh, any security company as far as if they call us and say, we got something, you know, we're going to respond quickly and as fast as we can. And it does provide some extra oversight and some deterrent. Uh, outside of that, I would say, you know, uh, personal vigilance with, you know, leaving things not locked, you know, in your cars unlocked, doors unlocked, you know, cameras are a good idea, alarm systems are a great idea. Don't leave valuables on your front seat, your computers, your handguns. I mean, we get reports of guns stolen out of unlocked cars all the time. It's like, hey, look, come on, let's, let's all work, you know, together and, you know, take the gun in the house and not leave it in the car because now it's a gun on the street, you know, those kinds of things. But just little things like that, uh, people can help us out quite a bit. Oh, thank you. That's that's great. We'll certainly let our uh, real estate clients know because um, some of those subdivisions are talking about bringing in their own, bringing in their own people. Um, so in the meantime, uh, Guy Giles, you had mentioned uh, during one of the breaks, um, we have some new loan limits on Jumbo and possibly FHA. What's going on in that world? Uh, where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what we'll do is, is we'll be doing this again right after the first of the year. So anyway, I'll, I'll come in with, with all of that. But our new conforming loan limits, limits, this means the ones that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are allowed to buy, is going up to $548,250. So, I mean, we're, we're up easily into the $600,000 mark with less than 20% down now. So we're definitely seeing um, a big rise all over the all over the country because that's more of a national number um the the number does go higher than that so if you have people coming here from los angeles or san francisco some of the higher priced areas some of those conforming loan limits again many of the ones that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are able to buy are all the way up to eight hundred thousand dollars so uh sometimes they come here and they get a little bit confused about that thinking that they can get the really good rates they would on a conforming one and our limits just aren't that high, but definitely for the area, I think they're, they are going high at this point. Oh, and then on the, the FHA limits, I don't know if we know the exact number yet. Is that true? But that could have a big impact on our local prices, don't you think? All of it, all of it does. I mean, it's just it's just about purchasing power. You, you on, a, on what we call a jumbo loan, meaning one that one of the banks is willing to take on because it's above the limits that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac the big guys that own most of the loans are, are able to do, you're pretty much looking at 20% down unless we do a piggyback first and second mortgage on those. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that, but it definitely, it, there's a lot more flexibility with, with lower down payments and uh, and better rates with if you're able to fit into that conforming. So them raising that up actually helps in a lot of the areas. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Pete. Market is definitely headed, we're, we're in the winter. So it's cold outside and we are in the winter market. And despite what you may be seeing or reading, listings, we're still below 500 listings in three counties. So the listings are not coming back as I think that people have thought they were. Last week's sales were half of what they have been in a month ago in Jackson County. We're down to under 50 closed sales last, last week. And so look, we're in that little downspin right now. We're in that winter doldrum which means there's opportunities for both buyers and sellers with such low interest rates to do something to make a real impact in their life. But, you know, we're, we're really, we've really slowed down. Uh, lockboxes down. Everything is kind of really slowed down here. 
in the last week or so, Alice, and uh, uh, we're in that that winter, you know, that down spin in winter is definitely that market continues that even though we've seen a lot of sales and a lot of interest and a lot of demand, um, things are a little slower than they were. And that's overall. Well, and I, I know that um, I keep saying there's a whole bunch of listings coming. I yeah. myself personally have nine listings coming in the next two and a half weeks. And everybody's just been bogged down, either getting their house ready or trying to figure out the next, you know, Governor Brown shutdown order and blah, 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 blah. But um, I still say that it's going to be a lot more listings, but right now it, I'm not right yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, the list you're, you're actually partially right because the listings that are coming on are just being sold so quickly. So I mean, there are new listings are just going off. Uh, I had, you know, again, we both have experienced that this last week where, you know, they hardly even get on the market and there's, there's, there's buyers out there for them. Agents are looking. So it's, it's a dynamic market, as you know, but we're in the winter. It's slowed down, but a great opportunity exists out there for everybody. So um, anyway, we, I know we've got to go here in a minute, but I just want to say thanks to Sheriff Sickler for joining us today because we really love hearing from you about what these things affect uh, all, all of our county. And, and you were right in the middle of this thing and what you do and the decisions you make affect real estate and, uh, and the things that we do. And so I really appreciate you know, your honesty with what's going on and you've got some big challenges ahead of you. I can't even imagine how you're gonna face them or deal with them, Nate and, and Guy and your committees too, but I wish you well because you've got a lot of work ahead. People have really given you a lot more problems ahead to deal with. Well, that's what I guess we signed up for. We're gonna do our best no matter what faces us and just know that we're gonna work hard for our community and. Uh, and the tax dollars that are invested into our organization, we're going to put to the best use we can. And so we're here. And if anybody needs anything, just give me a call. All right. Well, thank you, Cher Sickler. Thank you, Guy Giles and Mutual Omaha Mortgage uh, for another great show. Uh, just a reminder that uh, this broadcast will be aired again on this same radio station tomorrow, Sunday at 6 p.m. So you can uh, catch us again if you like. In the meantime, go and have a beautiful Southern Oregon weekend. Um, hug everybody you love, and we should be back next week at this time. Have a great day.